We're finishing up a series today called Creativity Under Attack. Will you say that with me? Creativity Under Attack. The premise of this series is that God made us to be creative. But we keep losing the creative battle. And, uh, and so we, it, it's been under attack that, that God made us to come up with creative solutions. That our God, as we look in the Bible, the first characteristic that we find of him is in the beginning God created. We know him to be a loving God. We know that part of his nature and his character. We know that he is a fair God. We know he's a righteous God. We know that he's a caring God. But sometimes we forget as we open the Holy Scriptures, the first page, the first verse is that we're, uh, we're introduced to God as the creator. And creativity, I believe, is one of his main characteristics. And we, as his sons and daughters, should be walking with, uh, in creativity. We should have the best, the best ideas to problem situations. We should solve difficulties with creative things like Jesus did. You know, he couldn't get out to that boat. You know, there were, there were no bridges. There were no motorboats. So he just started walking on water. The guy couldn't see, so he just spit in the dirt, put some mud on his eyes, and got him healed. The New Testament church. We talked about this last week. Anytime they had difficulty, they would just, the Lord would just give them creative solutions to overcome almost impossible difficulties. And I believe for 2018 that you and I are going to be some of the most creative people, that God's going to give us ideas that solve problems that the nation keeps raging about, even in your personal life, just overcome. Why do we keep fighting? Why does my husband, my wife, why does my wife do that? And God's going to give you creative solutions to overcome the difficulties of life. In fact, I'm so convinced that creativity Activity has been under attack, and the reason why I'm so convinced in it is because I meet so many Christians who are bored. They're living boring, mundane lives. Jesus never intended that. They they just bored out of their mind, trying to go to church and be good, and trying to throw their kids out there in the kids ministry and come and sit in a service and like fix me, fix me, fix. Ooh, that's miserable. All I know is that I have tapped in to the power of the living God, and my life is so fun and exciting and so full of creativity. He he, I mean, he does things in my life every day that I'm like, I can't. That's hilarious. And I think you should live in the creativity of God, and we need to get it back what's been stolen. So we identified out of Webster's, that creativity is identified as this, or defined, excuse me, as this, the use of imagination or original ideas. The use of imagination or original ideas. When's the last time you had an original idea? When's the last time you actually let your imagination go wild for God and saw those things come to pass? When's the last time we actually were created? For some of you, you know, more than others. But it's time that you and I get that back. We had kind of a summary scripture uh, over the first two parts of this series. It was Galatians 6, 4 through 5. It was out of the Message Bible. Not the best translation, but fun nonetheless. And it says it like this in verse 4, because I don't want you emailing me like about the King James is better. Anyway... Verse 4 says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself up into that. Don't be, excuse me, don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Lord, deliver us. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Somebody ought to shout, amen, I will do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then we jumped into this whole series talking about the obstacles to creativity. Our first week, we identified what I believe is the main obstacle, and that is, um, that is an overwhelmed mind. 
that our mind gets so overwhelmed with being responsible and trying to keep up with all the stuff that's going on on social media and hearing this information and that information. We're the information overload generation. And as a result of it, our mind is overwhelmed. We can't hear God's voice. We can't be creative. We're just trying to survive and and not go murder somebody because of all the stuff we know and heard that this person, oh my goodness, we don't need to gossip anymore. All we got to do is look on Facebook. It's unbelievable. I mean, what has transpired and how bogged down our brains are. And we, and we gave the solution to that problem situation or to that obstacle was to, was to Sabbath, as the Lord taught us to do. And I gave you great teaching on that. If you missed that, go back and grab that podcast. You can find it on our website. The second obstacle that we identified last week, which is a huge obstacle for you and I being creative, and that is fear. We're scared. We're scared of stepping out and trying something new. Creativity, the critical point of creativity is to, to step out, try something new, do something new, and let, and let God bless it and kiss it as you walk it out. And so today, we'll look at the third obstacle and also the solution. You ready? The third obstacle today that we're going to be studying is isolation. Everybody say isolation. isolation. Say it again. Say isolation. Isolation. That is the plan of the enemy to isolate you. And so I want to see you walk in creativity. And our solution that we'll talk about today will literally, will literally, literally, will literally be collaboration. That's what we'll talk about today. But before we go any further, I thought about a couple years ago, we had a situation here at the church. And some of you may remember that I think it was 2013, 14, somewhere in there. We had the ice storm of the year in Dallas. Anybody remember that? Was that 13 or 14? Anybody remember? Well, it was four years ago, so whatever that is. There you go. And, uh, and Church on the Hill, like all the churches in the area, we're in panic mode. What are we going to do? We can't get everybody to church. And so we were a small church at the time. We didn't have a media department. We didn't have any kind of you know, nice facilities or anything like that. So we said, how can we let everybody know to be safe? And what can we do? And we came up with some creative ideas. And I actually, all we could do is get, uh, we couldn't leave the house. So we made a little video. And we found this a couple uh, days ago. And I thought, We've got to show this. This is the video that my kids, we made with my kids to tell the church, don't leave your house, but we're going to do church online. We're going to do a live, like, you know, FaceTime with everybody and have church online. This is our cool, creative idea. So here's a little video footage from, uh, from a couple years ago of my kids telling the whole church, don't get killed, but uh, go online with us. Go ahead, play that. kids are going to kill me when they didn't know I was playing that. <laughs> but as we're talking about creativity and solving problems, uh, here we were, you know, three years, four years ago, and we, we didn't know what to do. And so we said, let's do a service online. Nobody can come to the building. And so we, d- we did a service online, and it just was super cool. And we didn't know how we were going to tell everybody. So we just took a little iPhone. We took what we had, and we just had fun with it. Let me tell you something. Don't let the enemy steal your creativity because you're sitting around complaining about what you don't have. And it wasn't fair how you were raised. And it wasn't fair what you went through 
friend, get past it. It wasn't fair. And let look around and all the things that God's put around you. Put those things together. Collaborate with those that God's brought into your life. And let's change the world together. Are you with me? Say yes. So our number three obstacle that we're going to study today is isolation. Let's look in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. And we're going to kind of study what we see happen here with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as you know, was the forerunner of Christ. In other words, John the Baptist was miraculously conceived. His parents were in their old age. There was no way that they were going to have kids. They had been waiting for a miracle. Elizabeth had given up. His dad had given up. And then all of a sudden, God did a supernatural miracle. Why? Because Jesus needed a forerunner and, and to kind of prepare the way that the Messiah was coming. And that's, all, that's kind of Middle Eastern culture, that before a a groom was coming to get his bride that there would be a, a caller one who would go out, the bridegroom is coming, the groom is on his way and they would go out and herald if you will or they would market if you will that something was about to happen, they did that with all the big events they would market it, they would send someone forward and they would yell and from the rooftops and let everyone know and that's what John the Baptist was and so we see that his life on earth, we see what transpired we see him uh, out you know uh, uh, eating uh, locusts and, and wild honey and, 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 and wearing difficult clothes, you know, you know, made out of camel skin and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And we see him being this wild man, but he, we see him recalling the people to repent and turning the people's heart back to the Lord. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and John the Baptist prophesies, Behold the Lamb of God, and, uh, uh, of whom his sandals I'm unfit to even touch or untie or to loosen, as the translation says. In fact, he's there when he baptizes Jesus. He doesn't want to. Jesus says you must. As he water baptizing comes out of, the, uh, out of the water, we've studied this before, literally the heavens open up and a voice out of heaven speaks out as a, as a, as an, as a, a dove, a form of a dove. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and lands upon him. Then all of a sudden we hear this voice, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, of which John the Baptist was completely privy to was a part of his life existence was to prepare the way for Jesus. But as we look in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist has been imprisoned. He has been taken as a, as a kind of a, a political prisoner because he's preaching out against Herod and he's preaching out against the way he's living. And as a result, they put him in prison and, uh, and knowing that the wife hates him so much. And, is, and as you know, if you, if you read the scriptures, he ends up getting beheaded. And so, um, and so he's in prison. He's isolated. He's having this moment. And let's pick up there in verse two. It says, and when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Why in the world is he asking, are you the one or should we expect someone else? I don't know. Were you the one? Are you kidding me? Just months earlier, you prophesied, this is the Son of God. Just you, you know he's the one. You were there when the heavens ripped open and God spoke down, this is my Son and whom I will. You saw the Holy Spirit come down upon him. Why in the world are you asking this question? Continuing on. And so Jesus replied in verse, he, he replied in verse 4, go back. And report to John what you hear and see. Verse 5. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus, knowing that John obviously is in a low moment. He's in a depressed moment. And the reason why John is in a depressed moment is because he's been isolated. 
He's been pulled away from the collective. He is in prison knowing that his life is soon to come to an end. And in that moment of isolation comes doubt and fear and insecurity. He starts second-guessing what God had done in his life. He starts rethinking the life experiences he's had. Some of you have been through that. You've been through depression. And the reason why that depression came upon you is because the enemy isolated you. And you felt all alone. You felt like you had nobody. And you start, that depression just began to take root in your life. And then you start second-guessing. Is God really there? Does he really love me? Did I make a mistake by, by doing this or doing that? And you start second-guessing everything. Why? Because you're isolated. But Jesus Jesus responds to him, not doctrinally. Come on, somebody. Jesus responds with him, not in some type of hyped expression. Jesus doesn't give him, you know, a, uh, you know, a, 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 a coaching moment. Jesus responds to him, and he tells him about the creative things that are happening. He says, let me tell you something. You go back and you tell him the blind can see. People whose legs don't work, they starting to work. Go tell him the dead are being raised. Go tell him that people are turning their heart back to God. The creativeness of our God is at work in people's lives. You might be isolated. You might be out there by you, alone by yourself in that dark dungeon. But let me tell you something. God is still on the throne. And isolation is destroying you. But friend, let me let, encourage you that creativity is happening. And friend, when you and I, we let in it, the enemy isolate us. And we're the only one going through it. And this isn't fair. And I'm alone. I love when the prophet had that experience. The prophet Elijah had that experience. And God said, let me, let me slap you upside the head. You're not the only prophet. I've got a hundred reserved for me. Complaining about what you ain't got and what I'm not doing. Let me tell you something. I'm at work in the earth today. God's at work in the earth today. And when you sink into depression and you allow the enemy to lie to you, it's because you've allowed yourself to get isolated. And one of the things that I love about our church is we're not so busy trying to get butts in the seats. We're not so busy trying to pull off events. We're not so busy trying to start ministries. What we're all busy about is trying to learn how to do life together. What we're trying to do is collaborate with one another because at the end of the day, I'm really not, I'm not the main show here. Jesus is the main show. And you and I need to collaborate around him and around each other and not round a man, come on somebody, or a, or a personality or something like that. This is where the breakdown happens and people start getting their hope in a man or in a woman or somebody in leadership and then once they find out they're human like everybody else and they say, well then God can't be real. And this is the problem well, that I find happening in Christian circles because we isolate ourselves. We think that if I just listen to all Joyce Meyer's teachings, I'll be alright. Or if I just go and I'll give a little bit over here to the goodwill, then I'll be okay. Friend, what you've done is isolate yourself and you have no collaboration. The solution to isolation is collaboration. That's the solution. And I'm so frustrated with the United States Christianity because we think if we just show up to a service, that'll fix everything. Let me explain something to you. In the 80s, businessmen and women realized I cannot be successful on my own. I have to collaborate. And all of a sudden, we started putting collaboration in the forefront. We started having coaching seminars about collaboration. In fact, if you'll go through and you'll just ask yourself in a reality check of the things that you've been the most successful at, it's because others have collaborated with you. As I was doing my research on this, it was unbelievable to see all Einstein and his theory of relativity. He wasn't just sitting one day in a, in a, in a rocking chair smoking a pipe and it came to him. 
Do you know? He might have got credit for it, but there were people that he was collaborating with, people you don't even know their name, but he's sitting and walking. They tell stories about him walking with these other great thinkers and, and just talking about this and talking about this and collaborating. And yes, he got credit for it, but friend, he, the, the seeds of thought came from other people and, and planted into his brain and the way God made him, and it started working and things started happening. Why? Because collaboration. Uh, we don't have a problem with collaboration when it comes to business. We don't have a problem with collaboration when it comes to education. We don't have a problem with collaboration when it comes to politics. But we have a huge problem when it comes to our spiritual walk. I don't know what that is. I don't know why we think all I need is God, brother. All I need is Jesus. Hallelujah. And the reason that is, I believe, is because we don't know how to collaborate. And so I want to teach you today a little bit about how you and I can collaborate. Now, the definition of collaboration is this, the action of working with others to produce or create something. Do you realize that Jesus didn't come to the planet by himself and just minister by himself? He, the first thing he did when he started his ministry was, was pick 12 knotheads. He didn't even pick the best 12 on the planet. And here you are mad that you've been asked to go to a small group or you've been invited to a small group where people aren't as cool as you. Imagine poor Jesus. Like, dude, you, that's why you constantly find him saying, Oh, Father, how long must I tarry with these idiots? And that's Adam McCain paraphrased. But still, can you imagine? You're Jesus, and you got to put up with these guys. I mean, and, and, but he's collaborating. He's doing life with them. They're walking it out. And the, and the interaction. God the Father didn't even come by himself, but we got God the Son and God the Holy Spirit that they collaborate together. Don't you understand that collaboration is critical for your spiritual development? Don't you understand that collaboration and your spiritual walk, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, I don't care how many Bible schools you attended, I don't care if you wrote the songs that we're all singing, at the end of the day, if you have no one who has your back, no one who knows you, no one who's challenging you and saying, really? I don't believe that. This is the reason why people bump, jump from church to church. It's because the moment people start finding out about who they are, they're like, we got to go, baby. We got to get to another one. And this is where the problem comes in. What do you love about Church on the Hill? You can pull, you can shove, you can try to get us to do all these other things. But what do we do? We just say, hey, won't you just connect in small group life and then we can find out. So, well, I was a teacher over at such and such. Oh, that's great. Get in a small group. Oh, well, I was somebody big over at such. Oh, that's awesome. Get in a small group. Why? Because we want you collaborating with somebody so somebody knows you and you know somebody. That's great that you were some, that somebody might have been dumb enough to promote you before you developed. That ain't my problem. That's not my fault. I'm not going to keep doing that same problem and you haven't developed and you got all this messiness all hidden in your trunk nobody knows about no 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 you're gonna get up in relationships up in this church start collaborating and start doing some great things for Jesus and I just preach myself happy so years ago when I was a little boy when I was a little boy uh, my mom moved me from one public school to another she had a change of venue where we were living we went from one hood to another and so I moved to I'll never forget when I, I came I think it was third or fourth grade I came from Wimburn Elementary uh, to Bakersfield Elementary uh, and, and I don't know if any of you guys are old enough to remember but back in those days uh, what PE or recess looked like were teachers sitting on a chair and letting you just run all over a field and uh, you know they'll smoke cigarettes or whatever and you just need to stay out the way and uh, so it was like a prison yard it really was you know so there was a pecking order anybody old enough to remember those days right there's a pecking order and uh, there were established lines and there were games that were put into play and 
uh, by third and fourth graders, and if you either fell in line or you got tatted up, and you, you know, anyway, you had to find your group so you could survive recess and PE. Some of you remember that. And, uh, and so when I came to Bakerfield Elementary at Winburn, I was the stud. Everybody knew me. And, and in those days, you couldn't, you, they couldn't afford, you know, a lot, of, a lot of cool little playground equipment. So you got one ball, and you could do whatever. Kickball, dodgeball, murder yourself with a ball, whatever the case may be. And so, and so kickball in my era, uh, you know, in the, in the 70s was the game of choice on the recess and PE playgrounds. And so I showed up, you know, having been a top uh, kickballer over at Wimburn in the third grade. Now in the fourth grade at Bakersfield Elementary, I'm unknown. I'm an unknown kickball star in this new venue. And so, as I began to go out to recess and whatnot, there were a number of kids who had already established the winning team and got all their bros on it who could play in all the athletic kids and left all the loser kids uh, to, you know, uh, try to beat them, and they never could, and, and their joy was beating up on the loser kids. And so, as I came into this new venue, I tried to convince the athletic kids that I was as good, if not better than them, but they were having none of it. They would not let me in their circle. They would not let me in their sphere of influence. They would not let me in their church. And so as a result, I determined one day, I'll never forget, I remember as clearly as a fourth grader as I can, I remember the moment I said, fine, I'm going to take all the losers and beat the fool out of y'all. And at the first, and so I got all the guys, we're going to beat them, yeah, and I got them all hyped up, you know, and, and let me just point out something to you. I'm not the smartest person in this church, I know that. I, I'm not the best looking in this, I know that too. I'm not the most spiritual, there are people in this church who pray a lot more than me, but I have a gift that God uses, and that is I bring collaboration. I put people together and let them do what God created them to do, and I knew that from the time I was in fourth grade, on this moment, in this field, when I got all these kids together, and I said, now listen, you suck at this, you're terrible at this, but here's what we're going to I'm going to put you here because you're huge. I'm going to put you at first base. And the guy runs after you kick Just lay him out, all right? Just, just knock him down, and he won't round that corner again. We're talking about prison ball here. And then you over here, you can catch, but, uh, but the problem is you slow as all get out. You're fast as all get out, but you can't catch nothing. And so here's what we're going to put. And I started maneuvering, and I put a little plan together. And listen, let me tell you something. That plan started going into working because why? Because I got the people in the right spot doing the right thing. And then what happened was then we st- I taught them to heckle. Now, if you haven't grown up in the hood you don't know what talking smack is all about but when you have you know you get up in their brain and I said so when that dude kicks and he kicks it foul I want all of y'all to laugh at him and call him a loser then his boys will turn on him and we started working this whole plan in fourth grade I want you to know it didn't take but two games and by the third game, by Friday of that first week, we whooped those kids so bad that we didn't, then, then they started trying to come over to my team. I'm like, oh, uh-uh, you're not getting on our team now. Too late. And I want you to know within three weeks, we were no longer playing kickball because they were tired of getting whooped. Can I explain something to you? Let me explain something to you. Hebrews 10, <laughs> verse 24, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one, and on, one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not isolate ourselves like some of these fools are doing and then killing themselves and destroying themselves. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, friend, the end is on its way. We need collaboration. You can't raise your kids by yourself. Think about it. 
You, you, listen, you don't even, listen, you can't just take the message from Sunday and think that that's going to trans, that's going to transform your life on a daily basis. You've got to, you've got to have collaboration for your spiritual walk. You've got to have some folks in your life. You've got to have some folks that are heading in the same direction. I'm grateful that you got grandma, but grandma don't go to church on the hill. I'm grateful that you got that friend that you Facebook with, but they're not in the vision. Remember, collaboration is when a group of people come together and start working towards a goal and a direction. We have a goal. We want to make it hard to go to hell from South Dallas. We want to make it from South DFW. We want to make it hard to go to hell. We want every man and woman to have heard the gospel and know that Jesus Christ loves them, and we want to plant you in churches all over the metroplex and change the world we have a vision but it's going to take collaboration it's going to take you growing me growing and us being in a in a circle unit and hebrews again 10 24 says let us consider let us ponder let us think hard how we may spur i love that word niv uses the word spur it, 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 it motivate one another to good things some of you hadn't been motivated towards good things because you're so isolated you got nobody going, hey, bro, I don't think you should talk to your wife like that, man. That's not like Jesus, bro. Man, listen, thanks for having over, uh, us over at your house, but, bro, you got to get all that alcohol out of the fridge. You're, you know, one of your kids don't respect you. I'm just saying, dude. I'm just your friend, man. I just love you. So let me teach you some keys to collaboration. I know you don't want to hear it, but too late, I'm in it. So here we go. <laughs> number one keys to collaboration number one revelation you and i got to get a revelation that our success or your success is dependent upon others you got to get a revelation of that a revelation that your success is dependent upon others some of you have heard me talk about this i'm in uh, you know i i was high school uh, in, in Bible school in the 80s. So uh, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever play. So that whole era was really fun growing up playing ball. And look what Michael, here's a Michael Jordan quote. He said, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. What a great quote. The problem with that quote is that quote is after the fact. See, Michael Jordan, as he got on the Bulls team, he was the franchise face Scoring 50 points a game. Highest scoring player in NBA history. MVP year after year, but never could win a championship. Never could win a championship because he didn't understand collaboration. I think this is an amazing quote, but this quote is towards the end of his career. And so then he gets a guy named Phil Jackson to become his coach. And Phil Jackson, if you'll read through the storyline of this, I, I, I read Michael's book on this. Phil Jackson comes on the team, and Phil doesn't care. He's an older man. He's been successful in coaching. He takes on the big name Michael Jordan. He takes him on. He says, all right. He sits him down. First thing he does, he says, Michael, do you have any desire to win a championship? He says, yes, I do. He said, you'll never do it. Mike got ticked. He's like, what are you talking about? He said, Mike, you'll never do it. And he said, I'll tell you why. He said, because, because you don't know how to collaborate. He said, Mike, you got four other guys on this team. And when you get to hogging the ball and scoring all the points, they're like, let him do it then. And that's great. But, get, but there are five guys on the other team. You can't guard them all. And you sure can't keep three or four of them from guarding you. And you won't pass the ball to anybody. But if you learn to collaborate, you could win some championships. And it's from there that we get this quote from Phil Jackson. He said, the strength of the team is each individual member. But the strength of each individual member is the team. He understood something. Michael had a choice to make. To go to 
The owner is going to say, I don't want this guy to be my coach. I'm the best basketball player you've ever had. You're selling more product than you've ever sold. The seats are filled to see me play. And this guy got all up in my business talking, I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to do that. Michael didn't. He humbled himself. See, it takes humility to begin to collaborate. You and I have to recognize that our success is dependent on others around us. Every one of us owes some other people whatever life success we've already had. But your spiritual walk, your spiritual development, it's not going to happen because you sit in a service and I preach good. Although I do. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That narcissistic pastor. Anyway. No, seriously, it's going to happen when you begin to collaborate with others about your Christian walk. You do it in business. You do it in politics. You, we, you, you do it in, in, in everything else that you do, but you don't see the need somehow. And the reason, you've got to get a revelation, a revelation that my success is dependent upon others. And I've got to get in, in a life relationship and do life with others. Here's the second key to collaboration, and that is a willingness to be vulnerable. A willingness to be vulnerable. A willingness to be vulnerable. I love this quote by Patrick Lencioni. He says it like this. Teamwork begins by building trust. And the only way to do that is to overcome our need for invulnerability. We all don't like to admit that we have difficulty. We all sugarcoat it. We all make it better than it is. Oh, but you have no idea. I live this. You have no idea the strength to just have some people in your life. You say, look, I blew that one. I'm a loser. I I just, can y'all just pray? I'm a pervert. Would you just lay hands on me about that? I I don't know, man. I just, but that first couple steps of learning to be vulnerable is very difficult for Americans. And the reason that is, is because think about it. We're We're our own rock stars. Think about that. We have Facebook. We are the star of our own Facebook page. We are. (laughs) And our goal is to get more people to admit that we're a superstar. So it's hard to be vulnerable when we live our whole life to get people to admit that we're superstars. And so you're taking pictures of everything you eat. Why? It's just food. Why do we do that? Why? Because in us, we want to be the next American Idol. In every one of us. And so it's hard to admit, yeah, I'm really bad at this. Or I'm, yeah, I'm not a good dad. Yeah, I need help. And just as Americans alone, in our history, I mean, no one bailed us out of a world war. We bailed everybody else out. We, we brought democracy to the world. We're the ones who are the greatest nation on the planet in the history of humanity. Jonathan's on the front row shouting, amen. That's a good Texas boy right there. But as a result, it's hard for us to be vulnerable. It's really hard for Christians to do it. Because we think, and we've seen that that's caused people to then push us away. Oh my goodness, they have same-sex attraction. <gasps> oh, gross. Or, oh my goodness. Uh, they, they, they really are hard to get along with. But they're supposed to be Christians. Wow. How about I just... And we isolate people and people feel isolated, which kills creativity, which kills movement. And God's plans for the earth stagnate right there. Got to learn to be vulnerable. Here's the third piece. And that is, if you're going to 
third key to collaboration, and that is the humility to invest in others. You've got to take on some humility to invest in others. You and I have to take on humility to invest in others. We constantly want to promote ourselves. It's amazing, like I'll visit small groups sometimes, and that leader will just start preaching their favorite sermon. It's like, dude, we don't want to hear a sermon. We just, we just want to all be together. And some of you have brought some of those concepts from back in the day where you did life in church. And it's so funny to me, everybody wants to teach. Well, if you'll study that word teach out in the Holy Scriptures, it doesn't mean to stand in the pulpit and lecture. That doesn't, that doesn't actually develop anybody. To teach means to take somebody on and begin to, if you will, coach them and allow them to speak back into your life. That's the Middle Eastern concept, and that's the Greek concept whenever it's in Scripture, and let the older teach the younger. It's not saying let the older stand and have a, you know, a, a, a pulpit ministry to tell everybody. It's actually take somebody on and help them grow to actually mentor and disciple them. That's the kind of the concept. And humility, I, I have this quote, your success is dependent upon your ability to make others successful. Really, that's all I've ever done with my life is just make other people successful. And as a result, their success kind of makes me successful, whatever that format looks like. First Thessalonians 5.11 says it like this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. We actually have a mandate to encourage each other and build each other up. It's hard when you lay down your life like Jesus did. It says, and he came, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for all. Can you imagine a church where everyone's trying to build each other up? Can you imagine a marriage where, where your spouse is trying to build you up and you're fighting to build them up? In fact, the, most of the conflicts that Jamie and I have is we're trying to serve each other too much. And you're like, what do you want to do? What do you know? I want to do this for you. No, but that's not good. And we're back and forth in that whole thing. And it's just something we've learned over the years as we've grown closer to the Lord. Collaboration's critical component is that you and I humble ourselves and start investing in others. And when we do that, life will have meaning and reason. It's about bringing your many gifts to the table and sharing them in the pursuit of a common goal. And here's the fourth and final key to collaboration. And that is the courage that you and I need for collaboration to be misunderstood. The reason why people won't collaborate many times is because they're scared to be misunderstood. Well, if they see I haven't worked that out yet, and I don't want them to think this, and I don't want them to think this, or I didn't really mean it like that, and sometimes I do that, and I don't, oh, I don't want them to think I'm like that. And again, we're back to the fear of being misunderstood, and it takes courage to just say, I'm just me, and I'm just stupid sometimes. And that humility has to kick in where we come back around and say, listen, I blew that. I love you, and I blew that. I, blew, I tell you, I told, I told you all this months ago. My middle child has learned the secret of that. Learn the secret. My baby child, she wants to argue the point. Argue the point. Who, who, who left the TV on? Well, it wasn't me. I was, it's on PBS. Your brother does not watch PBS. No, see, I, and the middle child just goes, I am so sorry, Dad. Would you have mercy on me? I'm like, oh, baby, let us buy three TVs for your room and create a theater for you. Because you are smart enough to just say, ah, could you, Dad, could you make me better at that? Yeah, baby, I will help you get better at that. It's amazing, but it takes such courage to jump into something and potentially be misunderstood. I love what Edwin Land said. He said, politeness 
is the poison of collaboration. In the South, we're so busy trying to be polite that we're not honest. It's the poison of collaboration. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's like the, you know, the, old, the old fable, you know, about the king, you know, with the invisible, you know, suit, you know. It, no one wants to tell them because no one wants to admit. But, friend, can I tell you, if we as a church, it, some of you waiting on the pastor to tell them. Well, I don't know him. You know him. You park next to him in the parking lot, not me. And so the moment we can do that in love, what will happen, we'll start having super, super collaboration. In our life here at Church on the Hill, we have three goals for all of our collaboration. Number one, we want to, our goal is for collaborating with one another. We want to grow in relationship with Jesus. And when we begin collaborating, that happens. The second goal that we have is we want to grow in relationship with each other. And you can only do that with collaboration. And the final thing is we want to win people to Jesus. And we can only do that as a team, as, as we collaborate. And I, I would highly, highly encourage you to ask yourself this question. Do I have any spiritual collaboration in my life? Do I have any here at my church, Church on the Hill? Do I have collaboration? Look, this is not a pitch to get you to go and join up for a small group. This is, this is me trying to help you start a small group or find collaboration with Christians. That's all a small group is for us. We're not even trying to organize them. We're not trying to man, man, mandate them or control them. We just want you to have spiritual collaboration so that you can move your Christian walk forward and be successful in all the dreams that God has for you. Isolation is the enemy to creativity. And that's what he's been doing to some of you, isolating you, getting you out there lonely. That's why depression has set in. Oh, but friend, can I tell you something? You'll start grabbing a couple folks. I like you. Let's go to lunch. Y'all start interacting. You start texting. You start Facebooking each other. Man, this is, this is, who cares if you get to, you know, if you start having Bible studies at people's houses? I don't, I don't care about all that. I, what I want you to have is a team of people that you're collaborating with for your Christian walk. And friend, when you do that, creativity will start happening. It'll be all happening. Supernatural things will start happening in your life. You believe that? Say yes. Yeah. Amen. Come on, stand with me all across the room. I got you to the place where you're scared to say anything, so let's stand. Henry Ford said this, coming together is a beginning. Staying together is progress, but working together is success. Would you join hands with that person next to you for me? As you bow your head and close your eyes, I want you to, you grab the hand of that person next to you. Could we be the church? Listen, you collaborate in your business. You collaborate in the field of work that you have when study. You know, they're now doing study groups at school where they work on a project together and, get a, and they get a grade together. They found that people learn better and mature faster in groups of collaboration. I love you, but I fear that you will attend this church and come to our services and never, ever collaborate with other Christians. And then you'll have this moment of difficulty. And you'll start calling up to the church trying to find the pastor because we shook hands one time or because I hugged your neck or because I've known you and met you a little bit. Friend, you need collaboration. You need somebody who knows your sons, your daughter. You need someone in your life that's not a rock star, that's just a good dude or dudette who just sits with you in the services and knows where you live and been in your home and you've been in their home and y'all broke bread together and laughed together like the New Testament church. Collaboration. It is the answer to isolation.
Isolation is the last and final of our teaching of the destructive obstacle to creativity. Father, I pray right now that men and women in this church, that men and women in this church would stop making excuses, stop talking about how busy they are, and they would begin to find collaborative relationships. Lord, that their spiritual walk would not be tied to a service as much as it's tied to a people who are in service. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name for supernatural relationships to come together. That, Lord God, that there would be not the perfect relationship, there's no such thing, but those, oh God, that would turn their heart, determine we're going to know each other. We're going to grow together. We're going to be authentic with each other. And Father, I pray that the tagline that you gave this church, doing life together, would be more than just a marketing piece. That it would be who we are. It's what we started as. It's what we want to be forever. But Lord God, you've got to change the people's heart. You've got to give them a revelation that their success, their spiritual success is dependent upon others. And that Lord God, they will grow as they help others grow. They will mature as they help others mature. They will have their needs met as they help meet the needs of others. That, Lord God, that being vulnerable is the critical component. And admitting I need help, I need to be in relationship, recognizing that. And then, Lord God, walking this thing out together. Lord, I pray for a definitive transformation in our hearts and our minds here at Church on the Hill. Now, if you'll keep your head bowed and your eye closed, you could release the hand of that person next to you. I never want to have a service or a gathering that we don't give an opportunity for those that maybe are away from the Lord. I've been away from the Lord. I've been in a backslidden state. I, was a, I, didn't, I wasn't born a Christian. I didn't go to church as a, as a child. We came to know Christ out of our wickedness. And he transformed our lives. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, you're not, you're not comfortable saying that if I died today, I would go to heaven. In fact, you're, you're pretty sure that you wouldn't. Friend, you don't have to leave this place like that. Maybe you've been taught that you have to be good for God to accept you. That's the greatest lie in the history of humanity. God accepts you because he created you. He wants a relationship with you. And he offered his son Jesus as the greatest gift to be able to get a relationship with you. You say, well, I don't really understand that. Well, let me put it in these words. We have all sinned. And our sin separates us from the holy God. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross and shed his precious blood. And that blood and that sacrifice is payment for every human on the planet's sin. In other words, there was an account with your name put on it. And that account was filled with his grace and his mercy. He said, oh, that's awesome. How do I access that account? I'm so glad you asked. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, what that means is you and I have to stop our worlds and stop saying that I'm the Lord of my life and say, I need a savior. And when you and I do that, and then we confess that with our mouth and we believe it in our heart and we ask Jesus to come into our life, he immediately responds. We don't have to do bestowed upon us and, and poured out upon us. We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to do 2,500 Hail Marys. We don't have to light candles. We don't have to give money to the church. Grace is just that grace extended to us because we ask. Now today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, would you let Jesus' grace extend to you? Would you be willing to make him the Lord of your life? 
Would you let me pray with you? I won't call you forward. I'm not trying to embarrass you. This is a deep, private decision. I know we're in public, but this is a deep, private decision that you need to make here and now because by not making that decision, you are making that decision. Friend, I want you to know that heaven is waiting on the edge of their seat. Will she, will she respond? Will he push me away again? These are the questions that are happening around heaven right now. Your heart lays in the balance. Will you respond to the Lord today? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, that's me, it's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Pastor, I want you to pray with me. I will. And if that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. Acknowledge that to yourself or to the Lord. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Amen. Put it up. Put it back down real quick. Thank you. God bless you. You Put it back down. Many of you lifted your hand. I'll give you about two more seconds. Anyone else? Pastor, I don't want to miss this moment. I need it. I need God in my life. I need him to forgive me of my sin. Amen. Thank you so much. You put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I'm not going to call you forward. Right there in your seat. Nobody knows who you are. You in heaven know who you are. God knows who you are. This is a defining moment for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray out loud with you so you're not alone. And I want you to mean this with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I need you. I humble myself and I ask you now to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, come into my world and be king. Here and now, I ask you to forgive me. Here and now, I ask you, write my name in your book of life. Here and now, I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me power to overcome sin. Jesus, I am yours forever and will serve you all my days. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. I pray right now in Jesus' name they would sense your love. They would sense your forgiveness. They don't have to perform for it. They just can receive it. Lord, I pray they would receive it like a Christmas present. They would just take it into their arms, take it into their heart, and know that they know that they know that you love them. And that, Lord, when temptation comes, they'll feel and sense you speaking into their life and say, you're okay. It's all right. We'll work this out. Father, I pray right now that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would just fall upon them. And as they walk out of this place today, they can know I'm right with God. He loves me. He loves me. And it's good. And we call these things as so in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen.